hard to schedule a time with you. You've been busy. I've been pretty busy, yeah. You've got a late night gig right now? So you're going somewhere from here on a Saturday night? Yeah, I think so. So I've been working on um, a pretty major mural gig. I can't talk much about who it's for, but it involves working from 9 p.m. till 3 a.m. a lot of nights doing these elaborate, hyper-detailed murals in Sharpie. I t- tell me, like, take me through that process a little bit. I have no, like, I, I drive by these murals and I have no idea how these things actually get made. Like, I, I assume it starts on a piece of paper for you. It starts a lot smaller. <laughs> well, I mean, this client that I've worked with before, they're all interiors, and actually, because I, I've worked with them a long time, they kind of know all the weird ways my head works, and they just let me riff on the walls. Really? Yeah. So, so I, I mean that. I, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around that because, you know, I, I feel like, especially against something that size, I would need to, uh, you know, attack that with some kind of a battle plan. Well, I did a project a while ago called Week in Hell where I locked myself in a room and I drew all over the walls, made like 240 feet of art. And I had no battle plan for that. It just came straight out of my head. And since people have liked how that's looked, I've been called upon that to do to do that in other contexts also. That, that's almost like it sounds almost like performance art. Kind of, except no one's looking except my boss while I do it. What, what was the? I mean, what was the idea behind that? Well, behind behind week in hell, I um, the idea was that I was just I was kind of really bored with my art style, and I um, I wanted to work so hard and so much in such an isolated environment that I would kill all of my cliches and figure out what was true to me. And it, your style, you feel like your style has changed because of it. Yeah, I do. I mean, it, for one thing, taught me that I had the capacity to do this crazy work and that I could just, I don't know, kind of slash open my wrists and, rink, and um, ink would come out. And it, it me, Meaning you didn't have to yeah, give it a lot of thought? Yeah, I didn't, have to, I didn't have to give it a lot of thought and I could make something really big. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, has, it's so it's, but I mean, it's just changed your work in general? It came at sort of an interesting and lucky time. Uh, I did um, Week in Hell in September 2011, and then a week later, Occupy Wall Street started, and that changed my work and changed my life. Yeah. How is, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm obviously pretty familiar with your older stuff. How is your stuff since 2011? How is it different? Well, my stuff got really overtly political and more journalistic. Since 2011, I've done things like drawn Syrian refugee camps or go down to Guantanamo Bay and draw the trial of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. So you're wow! You're I mean you're actually going. You're you're embedding yourself. You're traveling to these places. Yeah, I did. I did a piece for the New York Times on yeah. um, on snipers in Tripoli, and <laughs> I did like a big feature for Vice that got nominated for some awards about Gitmo. Yeah, um, I've been to Spain. I've been to Greece. I also just illustrated a book for Matt Taibbi, who's yeah, a yeah, wicked yeah, cool journalist about yeah. the prison system. I went to Rikers to draw that. What is it, what is that like going? I, I mean, I'm going to ask you about. Guantanamo Bay in a second, but Rikers, you know, being a being a, a lady artist walking <laughs> into Rikers is kind of be kind of a sobering well, experience. I, I wasn't allowed to actually go into Rikers itself. You're not because you're not allowed to bring anything with you, even a pen or a piece of paper. So actually, what I did was I drew the lines of people waiting to visit their family members, and it's ninety nine percent black and Latina ladies um, dressed up really nicely going to visit their guys that are in there. So Occupy is what made you what turn take take this kind of political turn? Well, I had always 
been a really political person, but I had been afraid to do it artistically. So I would, for instance, I would sell my work and then I would give money to a national abortion fund, but I wouldn't necessarily do a piece that was overtly political because I was afraid that it'd be preachy or that it would be boring or that it would just suck. But then with Occupy, I felt like it was this really important moment where I had to take a stand. So how do you how do you do that without being preachy? I don't know. I just <laughs> I just try to I try to turn the same eye that I've always turned to everything to politics and keep the same sense of sarcasm and whimsy and subversiveness to it and not make it look like what political art's supposed to look like. I mean, if you know, if your if your work is sort of taken this more improvisational turn, at least for for that that project was, and the the project that you're working on later tonight. I mean, if anything, it seems like you've got to give more thought to the the political aspects, especially especially you know, with regards to again not making it overly preachy. Are are you walking a line between just having this spew out of your brain and? I, I mean, different different approaches for different jobs. Yeah, you you um when uh when I asked you to to do this, I mean obviously you know we we know each other mostly through through comics. Um, you, you mentioned that you're not you're just not doing comics anymore. No, I'm not doing comics anymore. Is is there a reason? It's too much work for me. Yeah. Uh, every single comics page is essentially nine illustrations. Yeah. It's the most brutal sort of donkey work. Like anyone who can do that is a fucking genius and also a martyr. And I have so much respect for them, but I just can't. Yeah. What what uh, what do you what do you enjoy doing right the most right now? Is it the large works? Yeah, I enjoy doing like big paintings, like what I did with my show Shell Game, and I enjoy uh, doing illustrated journalism. Tell, tell me about Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> Guantanamo Bay. I so went- let's actually start. Actually, let's start with this. Like, to, to start with what you. I mean, I, I, like we we we've all got these sort of preconceived notions, and I'm curious. I'm curious as to what you thought you were getting yourself into, and what it turned out to be. So I went down twice to Guantanamo Bay on on press junkets both times. They have press trips there. It's it's actually much easier to get to than I think many people give um, the military credit for. Because so many people have asked me, like, how the hell did you get to Guantanamo Bay? Did you swim? Like, what did you do? Like it's Alcatraz or something. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But but no, there are, there are organized press tours and a press office. And so I went down twice, once to cover the Khalid Sheikh Mohammed hearings and then once to sketch the prisons themselves. What I didn't expect, and what I think most people don't know about Guantanamo, is that Guantanamo is this cheerful land of Uber America outside the prison. Huh. Like there are gift shops there and McDonald's, karaoke bars. That I mean, that sounds that sounds like the interesting story. I mean, I, you know, obviously somebody <laughs> needs to cover all of the atrocities that are happening inside, but that's just so they're the 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 they're trying to keep all of the American service people happy in this exactly awful place exactly and um it's been a naval base since the 1800s and the naval base kind of looks askance at like why does everyone think that Guantanamo is so bad right now why doesn't everyone cover like the cheerful news about our pumpkin carving competitions and, and our scuba diving but like they don't want to admit that the place has become synonymous with horror yeah what what um. I'm wondering what you, you know, I, I guess, you know, you must, you must get something out of doing the political work on a personal level. Is it, is it, is it catharsis? I mean, there are a few things. One thing, it's really interesting to go to places that you always thought you couldn't go to, like, like Guantanamo. Um, also, I, I'm really anti-authoritarian. I was diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder when I was a kid. Is that a, that's an actual. It's a disorder. The, the symptoms are that you won't obey your teachers. <laughs> 
I feel like a lot of kids have that. <laughs> I know, right? So I was such a brat. And when I was a little kid, I would, you know, I would draw like mean cartoons about teachers. Like I think we have that we, I think we've all done that. And I feel sometimes that my political work, it's an extrapolation of that. It's taking this anti-authoritarian impulse in me and using it to poke the bastards. Let's back up. I want to know more about what, what it's it's oppositional authority disorder, oppositional defiant disorder, oppositional defi- defiant disorder. Um, a, I want to know how that's diagnosed, and B, I want to know like what what they actually do about that. Are they, are you supposed to put kids on medication, or what's the? I'm kind of as to what they do about it. They're, I mean, they wanted to put me on meds, but my parents wouldn't let them. I was like 12 years old. Yeah. So I had to go to the therapist a lot. And I remember a therapist diagnosed it with like lots and lots of questions. And I think that the school made me go to the therapist because I was like this little goth girl that was listening to Kurt Cobain and drawing headless cheerleaders. <laughs> so so that was that was kind of the beginning of the art career? I think so. Yeah. It's it's and it's and it's kind of stayed the path a little bit from that, right? I think so. Yeah. You did you go to SVA? No, I went to FIT. Okay. So uh, for fashion. Actually, FIT is interesting. It's the only state art school in New York, so it's super cheap, which is why I went. But it's it's atrocious, like besides fashion. The illustration program is just a blight. That's why I dropped out of it. Why why did you why did you go there in the first place? Uh, I couldn't afford to go to any of the other schools. I see. Um so you, you drop out of school, but you still start getting illustration gigs from there? I was getting illustration gigs when I was still in school, okay. so it just didn't, and the school was so bad that it just didn't seem like a good use of effort to continue to go to it. I'm always curious as to why people go to art school in the first place, you know, I mean, it, 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 did you, um, you, you felt like it'd be easy to, easier to get gigs from there, or you felt like you just had a lot to learn about I don't even know. I think just parental expectation that I would go to college and my mom is an artist. So I didn't really see like, I didn't see being an artist as an impractical foo-foo thing that you would never actually make money at because my mom, you know, put money, put food on the table by being an illustrator. Hmm. And so I was like, well, you know, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to go to art college because I'm going to be an artist like my mom. And I didn't really think through it too deeply and I didn't actually have any idea of how the field worked or how anything worked what why was it so bad <laughs> it was okay <laughs> is it because I, it's a fashion school it's i mean it's because it's an underfunded terrible school filled yeah. with mediocre teachers who and um how do i put it? okay so one thing i just remember is looking through uh the fine art department, they had like a show on the fine art floor yeah. and the entire show was someone had typed the word fuck the pig snout on the computer sure. and then cut it out over and over and over again and put it on red paint. And this is the this, this sort of stuff they were promoting? Yeah, yeah, as like the best of class. So, that, I mean, that's, you know, because to me, like I'm thinking of what would make an art course really bad and, and, and it, it's, you know, it, it seems like it would be this... Um, the teacher kind of imposing their will on, on yeah. the students. I mean, we could have used that actually. Really a little bit, yeah, I, I, I'm not entirely. I'm not entirely what, sure what, um, what what traditionally is, is taught in, in those sorts of things. I mean, I guess you could take people back and kind of sort of give them idea about form and and history. It sounds like there was none of that happening. And well, like traditionally, what you'd be taught is you'd be taught life drawing or anatomy, um, yeah. color theory perspective you know very very classical things that go into drawing something and then also lots of computer stuff 
this was just it was just a it was just a terrible school and we had a lot of teachers who had these very weird styles from the 1970s like pouring turpentine on brown paper and then cutting things out of newspapers that they would try to get the class to reproduce in mass so it's not so it's not you know and, and again like I, I would expect that the, the difference between like a I mean, obviously, there's there's a lot of um, commercial art taught in an SVA, but um, I, I would think when you're getting into an FIT, the whole really kind of the, the the crux would be trying to send people out into the world as as graphic designers, you know, as we, you know, with uh, like giving people actual real world job skills. It sounds like that absolutely no, you're shaking, you're shaking your head. Um, I mean, there was a graphic design program that I, I can't speak to for that. But for yeah. illustrators, we had to study airbrush and marker rendering, two skills that are completely obsolete. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Thanks. Uh, thanks for listening. Just wanted to take a brief break in the action to let you know that this episode of RIYL is brought to you by Audible. Audible is currently offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. All you have to do is go to audiblepodcast.com slash RIYL, which is the name of the show that you're listening to right now, and choose for, from uh, from over 150,000 titles. You can download a title for free and start listening. It's, it's just that easy. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash RIYL. That's audiblepodcast.com slash R-A-Y-L. You can get started uh, right now. You listen to podcasts, so audio audiobooks make sense. Um, I'm actually uh, in the process of reading a uh, book about Mao right now, Mao, the unknown story. They've got that over over at Audible. Uh, 29 hours and 51 minutes. So basically, you get uh, 30 hours of, of, of content about uh, Mao Zedong um, over at audible.com. It's audiblepodcast.com. Dot com slash R-I-Y-L. You enter all of the info. You get a free book. You get a, a trial subscription, and you know we um, we get a little. You know maybe maybe we get to keep making the show. It's just uh, it's just that easy. That's uh, audiblepodcast.com slash R-I-Y-L. Back to the show. So you turned thirty. Yeah, I just turned thirty in, in September. It sounds like it was a. Uh, kind of a, a, a big moment for you <laughs> i mean i think for many women you know, turning 30 it's this age that there's a lot of societal propaganda about yeah yeah um w- was it something you were dreading i was dreading it a little bit and it was so stupid that i was dreading it because i actually really like i mean my life my life is great now yeah. i but there was this total drumbeat of dread in my head that was like, you're not precocious anymore. You're not young anymore. You know, beginning of the end. But so I wrote this essay for Vice where I wanted to kind of interrogate that and be like, why, why do I have these stupid fears? Why do so many people have these stupid fears? And best I could figure out, it's that the lived experience of being 30 is actually great. And so there's so much societal propaganda against it just to undermine that. Well, I mean, certainly there are, and and this, and this isn't just a, a, a gender thing but certainly there are things that you are more adept at when you're younger you know mm. and, and you, you lose certain things with age I don't think being an artist is really one of those things at all I mean a lot of you know I mean I, I guess a lot of artists have done their most exciting stuff when they were younger but there's a lot to be said for real, real world knowledge right yeah I mean especially because art is so much a craft-based skill and generally with craft-based skills, you get better at them with the more experience yeah. you have. That I think with visual art in particular, there's no real correlation between being good at it and being young. 
we, we've you know we've we've talked about the, the some of the the changes that your work has undergone since 2011. But do, do do you go back and look at? Have you looked at your early stuff? I mean, can, can you? I, I have trouble honestly. Like I have trouble looking back at things that I wrote when I was you know 20, 21. Um, but you were already. It sounds like at that point you were already um, getting your stuff out there. Is is it hard to? Is it hard to go back and look at that old stuff? I was such a bad artist when I was a teenager. I think that like when you're 19 and 20, the only thing that prevents you from giving the whole thing up is that you're blind. You are blind to how crap yeah. your own work is. You have this sort of protective bubble of arrogance. And if, if you didn't have that, like you wouldn't continue because not only are you not actually talented, but the world is entirely rigged against you being a working artist. I mean, you must have had, there must have been something there, right? I mean... There must have been the seeds of something, at least. There's the, there's the seeds of something. I mean, I can definitely see the seeds of where my work came from. But man, I was nowhere near as good an artist when I started out as I thought I was. Yeah. I mean, you've got you know you've got this you've got this very well defined style. When at what point does that really click for you? I started doing the sarcastic Victorian stuff when I was still in college. I guess I was around... Um, I wish I had known that that was the term before I asked the question. That's great. <laughs> um, I think that I was around 19 when I started doing that. It was inspired by this book that I loved called The Crimson Petal and the White, which mm. is this like dense Victorian novel about like whores and class and money in London that just berates you for liking the Victorian genre just fucking stabs you and says what a bad person you are to like this time of child labor and rampant death and it's also really funny and I love this book and I had this amazing teacher who's my favorite teacher uh, in all of my in all of my college experience Dave DeVries and he had us do this was at fit yeah at fit so there, there are, are good professors. There, there, there are a few. He was, he was an adjunct there, and he was yeah. fucking amazing. And he, I was taking his like cartooning class at night, and he wanted us to kind of develop a consistent character and mm. consistent style that we would use throughout the semester. And so I developed that, and that's what I've stuck with more or less ever since. That's interesting. Were, were you? I mean, you were you were a goth kid, so surely you were you had some earnest interest in Victorian fashion, right? Yeah. So, um, were were you did were you drawing in that style at all uh, before you, you know, actually adopted a style? I think I was trying to, but this was what made me really focus on it. And what made me focus on doing it, not just like, ooh, Victorian pretty ruffles, but also on getting like the abscesses and the blood that go along with Victoriana mm. and the hypocrisy of it. Because I never wanted to do something that was just an earnest celebration. That, w- that would be stupid. Yeah. It's looking at... It was a terrible time. <laughs> yeah, it was, fu- it was a fucking awful time. It was a cruel, awful yeah. time. And uh, that also had uh, great corsets. And I wanted to do something that, that welded those two aspects of it that had the, the knife and the ribbons. Has, ha, but has this, has this, new, um, this new approach that you've, you've, you've taken in recent years, has, has that, have you gotten away from the style at all? Or is that still the core of what you do? I think that the way, the way I draw, like the lines and the inks and the curves and the splatters, is always pretty similar, even if I'm drawing Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's beard. Hmm. But if I'm doing something journalistic, I'm just drawing straight reality in front of me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not inserting aesthetic flourishes. Yeah. But your style is like your handwriting. Yeah. You, you just keep it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's such an interesting. It's, it's such an interesting thing because especially given the fact that like you can really point to this moment, this key moment in your life when like 
that's when you figured it out. That's 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 when it 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 snapped. I mean, it seems like most of the cartoonists, artists that I talk to, like you know, it's this kind of like long, laborious process. You know, obviously everybody wants to figure out um, something something that sets them apart. Uh, how is it that that you know that you you had this course that you had a teacher pushing you, and then that was it? I mean, that that was what defined your work since. It's you just found the exact right thing for you. It just it just clicked. I mean, that book meant so much to me at the time. I there the main character is this social climbing prostitute who's named Sugar, and um, at the time I was like super broke and I'm like working as a naked girl and I just I just fucking loved this character and I'd read the book over and over again and I'd cry at the end and um, I think that it was the book the course. And sort of where I was in the life all at once, they, they just sort of clicked. Speaking of that, I mean, you, you mentioned in the piece, what was it? Crickets? Oh, the, so I was, um, <laughs> I posed for some extremely low budget music videos that I'm sure were never posted anywhere but MySpace. Which is probably for the best, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> and I got this gig where I was supposed to be the girl in the bikini in a heavy metal video. And I was supposed to have crickets poured on me. I was terrified. Crickets are, they hop. They're fucking scary. And so I bargained that I would have the crickets poured on my stomach, which I did because I was broke. And I'm like lying there in my bikini and the grip comes and he pours all the crickets on my face instead. And the band just laughs. They think it's the funniest thing in the world to see this, you know, this chick in a bikini like screaming while there are crickets on her. And I was so angry because it's, it's not something you do to someone you respect, you know? No, I mean everything about that sounds yeah. horrible, and you know the the and you know I actually I had a I had a podcast for a while. At the whole conceit of it was was talking to artists and and um, discussing all the really bad jobs that they did before they got to do what they're doing now. Um, and I'm racking my brain and trying to think of anything that was quite as bad as that. I mean, the thing is, I got paid relatively highly. Like, yeah. anyone who worked in a factory or who, like, worked in an Amazon warehouse had a worse job than me. Um, it's just, there's, like, there's just, like, a certain Baroque degradingness yeah. to that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, the the sorts of, you know, I, I, did you hear that, that um, Radiolab piece about the Amazon warehouse that they just ran, like, in the last week? No, I didn't. Oh, I, I thought you might yeah, remind me of that, but it's just, you, you should listen to it, because it's, I didn't realize how bad it was until I... I heard that, but that's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a super shitty job, you know? Yeah. Working in a, you know, a a fiberglass factory is a super shitty job, but, um, again, like as far as just having like a visual or a moment or something you can point to, I mean, you, you, you clearly have that. And it sounds like, I mean, thankfully that (laughs) that was the kind of bottom for you of that work. Yeah. I mean, I, I did a lot of really shitty jobs where like my, that were associated with being like a naked girl or a girl in a bikini um, that sucked a lot. I don't think, I in no way think that they were worse than a lot of blue collar jobs, like, like working in a factory or, you know, working in an Amazon warehouse or working, picking strawberries. Those jobs are much harder and much worse, but they really, there's just something like crystalline and visual about how much my job sucked. Yeah. How do you, how do you even get into something? Do you, do you, Craigslist. Do you, you just responded to an ad on yeah, Craigslist. Yeah, um, And were you were you hesitant at all to 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 kind of do do a string of those? You know, when I started, I was a bit hesitant, but 
I just really didn't want to work retail. I thought yeah. that if I worked a minimum wage job, it, I would never, it would like leave me really exhausted at the end of the day sure. and I would never have enough time or money to ever get my career off the ground. And I just, at that time, I was entirely devoted to the idea that I would become a successful artist. Like that was all I lived for. Yeah. That, And so I was like, well, if I do retail, I will, it will be respectable and probably safe, but it won't lead anywhere. I certainly won't be able to be an artist or I can do this thing, which might get me killed, honestly, but which will give me enough money to do it. And so there wasn't really any doubt in my head between like doing the respectable but dead end versus doing the unrespectable but probably more rewarding. I mean, you, you've, you know, you've already, I guess, dropped out of college at that point. Are we? I know. I was. I was working. Okay. Yeah, I was still in college. Um, I'm just wondering, if, you know, what your if, if your parents knew any of this was going. Oh on. yeah, no. I told I told my mom about it. I told my no. My parents knew about it. Yeah, and they yeah. were they understood that that was. I think I probably I probably made it sound a, a little bit better, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. They 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 kind of knew about it. So so you know so you're you're kind of facing down a, a pile of of crickets, you know, and and. Does a thought run run through your head that this is maybe maybe being an artist isn't isn't the life for you? No, there was never any other option. Like, what's the, what what else was I supposed to do? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not like I have any skills that would get me a good job anywhere else. Like, it was doing this or uh, flipping burgers. I, I don't know. And and comics were, were, were was comics just a, a kind of a a way to make money making art? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I really, I like drawing things. I like drawing things in a variety of capacities. I like drawing things on big mural sites. I like drawing things, um, you know, as a live performance. I like drawing things for books, for, for, for giant paintings. I just like to make stuff. And so I like to make comics because I like drawing things. But then eventually I realized that I, um, I just couldn't handle the workload, especially with what else yeah. I was doing. What, what, uh, what's the reaction been like to the Vice piece? The Turning 30 one? Yeah. It's been fucking astoundingly good. Yeah. I've had so many letters from women. It's one of my three most popular pieces of all time. Uh, they just, um, you know, people sort of like looking down the, the face of that number and trying to figure out what it means for them. Or women who are older. Yeah. A lot of women, you know, in their 50s um, have felt devalued because of their age. And um, I even had women who had like, you know, been in like shitty relationships because they felt devalued because they're older saying it had helped them feel better about themselves. Yeah. Um, or I had women who were maybe 21 saying that it helped them feel better about themselves. One thing that's been really interesting is how um, women deal with getting older and the age at which they think they're getting older. I had like 24 year old girls writing to me saying that they felt like devalued and useless at 24. <laughs> That's so strange. I, you know, I'd always, I'd always assumed it went in the other direction. You know, the old like twenty is in, or what is it, thirty is a new twenty yeah. or something like that. But it's, it's, it's gone the other way around. Well, some some women said that they felt you know fine at forty, and some women said yeah, twenty four, they felt totally devalued. I, I think it just depends on your context. Yeah, uh, it sounds like thirty's working out pretty well so far for me. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Uh, thank you so much to Molly for taking the time to do that. Uh, I should mention, uh, you probably noticed that uh, it was a relatively short episode of R.I.Y.L. Molly, Molly is uh, very busy, so we, um, you know, we were we were trying to organize a time to do this. It took a little while. We finally found an evening, and then 
that night she uh, had to go work on a girl. She's uh, got lots of stuff to do, but uh, it was nice, uh, n- nice getting a little window in there and uh, catching up with her. Uh, hadn't hadn't seen each other in a little while because we both kind of left the New York comic scene right around the same time. Um, you know, me to go do some boring office stuff and uh, Molly to do some uh, very uh, exciting stuff. She's been very, very, very busy in the meantime. She's had all sorts of uh, art exhibits. Um, she's been working on uh, aforementioned murals. Um, she's been doing some really fascinating political stuff, which we hit upon in the podcast. Uh, she got really involved in the the Occupy uh, the Occupy scene here in New York. Um, she went down to Guantanamo, was actually in the courtroom doing sketches down there. Um, so super fascinating work. Uh, you could check out more of the stuff over at mollycrabapple.com. Uh, Molly, thanks so much for doing that. Uh, thanks as always to Brian for, for editing this thing together. Thanks to Mark and everybody at Boing Boing for po- hosting the podcast. We're part of the Boing Boing Podcast Network. You can find out more information over at boingboing.net or go over to iTunes. It seems like I'm pretty sure that every single week we do this show, there are there are more shows on the ever-growing Boing Boing Podcast Network. And Mark probably does about half of them at this point, which is probably, you know, two to three dozen, if if, if I had to guess. So, uh, all worth listening to. Go check those over at... Uh, uh, go check those out over at... Uh, at iTunes, and while you're at iTunes, why not um, why not rate the podcast? You can, you can kill two birds. Uh, if you liked what you heard, you can uh, send us an email to riylcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. Uh, that's also riylcast, but that's riylcast.tumblr.com. Subtle but important distinction. Um, you can actually get all of the episodes a little bit early, uh, usually a couple of days before they go up on Boy Morning. So um, you, know, you can listen to it a few times before you're friends have a chance to listen to it, or just go listen to it on, on Boeing. I don't, as long as you're listening to it, it's totally fine. Uh, thanks to uh, Audible for sponsoring this podcast. Uh, we, uh, I, I guess that's that's about all I got this week. We uh, will be back just around this time next week for another episode of RIYL. Mm-hmm.